Hi friends, join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hey guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today is season five, episode 12, Checkpoint. Um, And if I sound a little funky today, I'm actually getting over a strep throat, which for those of you who are our Buy Me A Coffee listeners, you guys know all about it. Um, My son son had strep. Um, A bunch (laughs) of my, uh, our whole family had strep. And um, I got it from my son and I got it the worst because he was playing Minecraft, having a really rough time because he was sick and everything and then just like started crying because he's just, you know, sick and not doing well and his Minecraft world wasn't doing great. And so I was holding him and he was crying on my cheek and then I sniffed and I snorted one of his tears. It's just so funny. Like I literally can't. <laughs> yep. It's still funny. Like it's an old story to me, and it's still like I think about it. I'm like, that would literally real? only ever happen to Sarah. <laughs> yep. Mother's love, man. So I snorted one of my son's tears, and as soon as it happened, I was like, oh no. And sure enough, I got a horrible case of strep throat, and I've been just like pretty much bedridden this entire week. So. We're powering through. I got my tea right here. We're going to talk about checkpoint. Um, if my brain is a little fuzzier than normal, you guys, know, you know why. Give me grace. <laughs> Doing my best. But um, And then the other thing that I was going to say is, so Leah is getting married in the next couple of weeks. Ooh, yeah. like, she's not 12. No, but um, Leah is getting married in the next couple of weeks, and then she's going to be on her honeymoon, which means she will not be on the podcast for a couple of episodes. We're going to bring on a guest or two in the interim, and then you know, hopefully you'll you'll be okay with just Tabby and I. We promise we'll pull our weight. We'll make it exciting for you guys. You'll never know Leah was gone. That's just like the biggest lie exactly. ever. <laughs> no, but Leah will be back. Don't worry. It'll just be a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, and I'll be back be with good. a bang too. The episodes I'm coming back on are... Yeah. I jump right in the fire. (laughs) Yeah. So, and we tried to kind of like record around some stuff that were like really important and then have a few that, I mean, at this point, every episode is important, but you know, there's some that are obviously bigger that we all know that are coming up. So, all right, let's talk about Checkpoint. Um, Written by Jane Espenson and Douglas Petrie, directed by Nick Mark, aired January 23rd, 2001. And we're episode 12, guys, which means we are now in the back half of season five which I'm not going to lie, gives me a little bit of fear and trepidation knowing what we have to tackle in front of us over the second half of the season. Um, But I'm also like really excited because I think that we've built a really great foundation with the first half of the season. Um, But yeah, we're here. We're halfway done with season five and I just, I can't even believe it. Uh, What do you guys think about Checkpoint? How do you feel about it? It's a very earned episode. Um, That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I feel like everything kind of lands in a place that you're kind of expecting it to in a good way. Like it's very like you're waiting for this to happen, but not quite in the way that it does happen. So it feels very organic. I feel like it's a bit slower, not in a bad way, but like I was watching it. I was like, there's way more dialogue than any other episode in season five, in my opinion. Like it was just straight dialogue the entire time. There was like one fighting scene, but that was pretty much it. 
Yeah, both the fighting scenes were done fast. Yeah, which is like it's fine to have every every once in a while. And this episode is objectively good. I just I love me a fight scene and multiple right. fight scenes in a Buffy episode. So like this isn't one I'm gonna like show people because it's the best episode ever. I think it's a great episode, but like it, I was like, oh, I miss like fighting and Buffy doing what Buffy does. You know? well, we also had Triangle right before this, and there's not a whole lot of Buffy fighting I was about in that. To say, Maybe that's why. Yeah. Because yeah. we've had well, a lot of Buffy before like, that. <laughs> this episode feels like such a breath of fresh air in comparison to the past few episodes we've had. But it was nice to see Buffy get a win this episode. I feel like the past couple of episodes have just been so, like, with Joyce not doing well emotionally and Shadow and listening to Fear, watching Buffy break down and watching Buffy have to take all these adult responsibilities and to have her stand up and like this episode is a metaphor for becoming an adult and saying no I am an adult um just seeing her stand up to the council and be like yeah Quentin I'm an adult now like like see me as such I don't know it's just really empowering and I love that well, for her and it's also just sick to see her stick it to them yes <laughs> oh my it's gosh just like I feel right. like we saw a fraction of it in season three but it was just very like bite me like you're out bye right right whereas now it's like she's coming in as a woman she's controlling it she has and she's like yeah she's she's like poised and she knows what she's saying and she knows what she's worth now like right and she knows she can do it by herself so there's no more fear of the council right yeah I did not – like I've always known that this episode had a callback to Helpless. I didn't realize how much of a callback it had. Um, in a lot of ways, it kind of feels like a part two of that episode. Um, so, okay, Checkpoint, the title itself, uh, it literally means a point at which an inspection or investigation is performed. I think we all kind of know this. But I love how subversive it is because we're thinking, oh, my gosh, this is the council checking Buffy. Like, are you qualified to be the slayer? You know, we're, we're going to – assess your performance and stuff. But it ends with Buffy checking the watchers and kind of being like, hang on. <laughs> I'm really qualified and I know I am and you need me. So therefore, like, suck it up, watchers. Um, but it's also Buffy kind of checking herself and being like, you know what? I am powerful. I am in charge and I know my own worth. And it's really, really cool and really empowering. Um, like I mentioned before, the episode references and calls back to Helpless, Graduation Day, where she, you know, tells Wesley that she's like done with the Watchers. Um, and then also kind of the freshmen too. So these episodes were all, um, or especially Helpless and Freshmen, those were two episodes that Buffy felt really powerless. Um, helpless because of the obvious nods to the Watchers Council and like, and then, you know, them reinstating Giles. Um, in Graduation Day, that's where she fired the watchers, like I said before. But the freshman was like through the whole idea of like her being unsure of herself going to college and stuff. Like that was the next step in her adult journey. And um, there's a really clear parallel, like with the professor belittling her in this moment. It reminded me of that one professor that like got on her when she was like in the wrong room or something in the freshman. Um but in both those episodes, she discovers her own strength and is able to overcome Kralik and Sunday because of it, just like in this episode. And I say this all the time, but if you have not listened to our Helpless episode, it's one of my favorites we've ever, ever recorded. I'm so proud of it. But also, it's just so powerful. I think it just hit really hard um, 
for us as women, like it, talking about how you you turn 18 and all of a sudden like – or even before you turn 18, it's, it, it's a lot of the same themes as the Barbie movie. Like your girlhood being stolen from you and feeling like you have to grow up a lot faster. We talk about the metaphor of Little Red Riding Hood and, and how toxic patriarchy takes advantage of girlhood and how girls often lose a bit of their innocence. And, and like we go into it. It's so good. Um, but like we said before, this season really – is about lost girlhood. And it's also about Buffy taking like that final step into adulthood. And this episode felt like, in a lot of ways, the metaphor of it was um, Buffy being evaluated to see if she's adult enough to be able to handle responsibility. Adult enough, like the watchers are going to evaluate her adultness. Um, And Buffy being like, excuse me, you don't get to tell me if I'm adult enough or whatever. Um, and so there's a couple of instances and I'll talk about them when we get to it. But I don't know. I just kind of comparing where we came at in where we were at in Helpless and then this episode, um, Buffy's about to turn 20. I think the next episode, yeah, Blood Ties is Buffy's 20th birthday and Helpless happened on Buffy's 18th birthday. So there's very clear nods to adulthood and Buffy, like a rite of passage. Like obviously when you turn 18, you become an adult. But I would really say like when you turn 20, that's also a huge milestone. Like you're no longer a teenager. Um, So I love that we have a little bit of like the repeated uh, themes there. Uh, Mark Field talks about how the purpose for the review, the Watcher's review, is to confirm that Buffy is ready for adulthood, like I mentioned before. They say, that's the challenge that Quentin puts to her. You're dealing with grownups now. Quentin demands proof that Buffy's prepared for it, referring to information about glory, but also, I think, meaning the challenge of adulthood more generally. That was the point of the crucimentum and helpless, and it's the same tactic the council still employs. And again, like it's been a while since we've talked really about like the toxic patriarchy and stuff, because um Season five has been like a vastly different theme than I feel like season four and, and season three. They both kind of dealt with the patriarchy in a lot of ways. Um, There's but, also been a whole lot of women at the forefront of season five, yes. which we have not seen up until right. now. Like this season is it's all Buffy. Right. And then it's like we have Anya, who's more a main character. Tara, who's more a main character. Willow's getting more screen time than last season. And then we finally have a big bad that's a girl. Like and Joyce and an extra character in Dawn. Like this season is all women. And so I feel like the themes have obviously been more according to that and less according to like Riley and the initiative and Angel right. and like all that. Right. I think just having your big bad be a man draws a lot of focus to the men. And obviously that's been done intentionally because they're supposed to contrast patriarchy with feminism. And I think there's they're obviously still subtly doing that in this season, but like you said, it's a whole lot more of a focus on womanhood and what that means and what that looks like. And like you can still show how a woman is affected by the patriarchy without showing the patriarchy because it's just really kind of infiltrates everything. Um so Passion Leonard talks about how Buffy has to confront three institutions of power in this episode. Um, and this is very similar to season four. So the first one is religious with the knights. The second one is academic with the professor. And the third is a governmental body, which is with the watchers. So we have those three big ones. And this is familiar to season four when we kind of had the whole idea of like the, the um, societal institutions that try to get you to conform. And we talked a lot about how uh, I think it was specifically in hush. When people are fearful, they tend to go towards a institution that they feel they can trust. And so in this instance, Buffy is being beat down by these three institutions saying, you're not enough, you're not ready, you're not powerful, whatever. And Buffy, for half of this episode, 
is kind of believing this, like, man, if people are telling me this, then that must be true. Um, we also do have Spike and Glory attempting to tear down Buffy as well. They're not necessarily institutions, but it is important because they are part of the conversation of belittling and tearing Buffy down. Um, and with the exception of Glory, all the people tearing her down are men. Uh, all Things Philosophical says, she's not your bloody instrument, Giles argues, but his words mean nothing to them. It's Buffy who must subvert their paradigm. After Buffy is challenged by the Watchers and her history teacher and Spike and Glory, <laughs> the Knights of Byzantium, she realizes it's no accident that everyone wants to make her feel like she's nothing. They're doing it because the opposite is true. She's the one with the power. Um, so yeah, it was really interesting. Like I, as we're going along, I was like, man, everybody is just like beating down Buffy this episode. And then, you know, because I, I always remember the last bit of this episode because it's so great, but I did not remember everything leading up to it. I was like, wow, everybody is just like really hard on Buffy this episode. So the gang is over at Buffy's house. Buffy's cleaning it up and finds Riley's sweater. I don't know why we're still, <laughs> why, why do we keep bringing him up? Especially this episode he's mentioned like three times. I mean, it would well, be he very did, weird. He has only, I was about to say, he did only leave two episodes yeah. ago. No, I, he's gone. I know we don't want to talk about it, but it would be really odd. Especially in Buffy, like Buffy time, it's probably been like maybe a week or so, maybe yeah. two weeks. Like it's still very frequent. I just want to know what his shirt is doing there. <laughs> Where was her house? Yeah, it was like next to her couch though, folded up. <laughs> I don't maybe know. Maybe did the laundry. Yeah, just like oh, she did Riley his laundry. So they're kind of talking about like what to do about Glory. Um, and I forget the whole gang still doesn't know that Dawn is the key because like Buffy's kind of I mean, when you know that Dawn is the key, you understand where Buffy's coming from, but everyone else is kind of like, why is Buffy acting really weird about Dawn? Well, they're they're not necessarily talking about glory. They're talking about um, Giles. Let them know that the council is coming to town, and that they have some information right. that Sorry. might help them I, out. I had in my my notes that the council's news about glory that they're coming, and then I forgot gotcha. to say the council. Yeah. yeah. And then t poor Tara's like, hey, like, could you keep me up to date about those council people? Because in my brain, they're all just a bunch of Gileses. Um, yeah, yeah, poor sweet Tara has no clue. No, no clue. It's like, bro, we wish. We wish we had a whole council just of Giles. I really love the show always uses the new person of the group to catch the audience up on old yeah, it's plot very clever. points. It feels so organic. They did a really good job of kind of calling back to a bunch of different things. And Buffy keeps like reiterating like, hey, like this is a delicate time, you know, like, mm -hmm. and everyone's like, sure, Buffy, we're not quite sure what you're talking about, but. Yes, this is a delicate time. So luckily, Buffy doesn't say anything that Dawn could pick up on because she's listening in the hallway or in the staircase. And Joyce finds her and is like, you need to go to bed. Such a mom thing. She's like, what are you doing up at this hour? Go back to bed. I was I, like, I, oh. <laughs> I feel bad for Dawn sometimes. I'm like, dang, like this, like I remember being left out and going to bed early and all of your older siblings are still up or like, you know, not being able to do stuff because you're too young. And I'm sure Leah... It got the worst of it because she was the youngest but it's like it sucks and she's like 14 here it's not like she's like eight or nine like and i understand like again buffy is coming across very over bearing older sister and without knowing that she's the key you'd be like i'd be so annoyed at buffy you know? But also, like, Buffy, have these meetings at the magic shop, dude. Yeah, if you don't like, want her over here. Why are you here? <laughs> yeah. 
And then we go over to Glory's apartment mansion thing. Still confused on what that is, actually. She does not look good. Glory yeah, looks she, pretty my sickly. My girl's depleting. She's like, she's, she's going downhill. She's a brain to suck, guys. <laughs> she probably just came back from Sarah's house. Yeah, she's got strep, guys. She does not look she good. She sucked in one of <laughs> Sawyer's tears, too. Actual <laughs> footage of what Sarah looks like after <laughs> no, um, snorting <laughs> Sawyer's tears. After said snorted tear. You can tell she's not doing well because she's not wearing red. She's wearing green. She's sick, True. guys. <laughs> yeah, she's like the mucus bugs and mucinix. Ew. <laughs> um, and a minion comes in, brings her a guy, the poor dude, another... Another person just innocent walking he, around. You can tell like their whole he soul. was doing his job. They probably just grabbed him out of his mail vehicle and were so like, confused. you're the next victim. He was like, what am I doing here? And I feel, I really feel for the minions here because they're like kind of trying to remind Glory in the situation like, hey, um, Glorificus, lovely woman that you are. Um, we are on a time frame. So if you could... Try to find the key soon. That would really help us out. And she's like, they oh, totally you're thought right. they were giving her good news. They're like, we have great news. Basically, your time is running out. And she's like, why is that? <laughs> well, they're good really news? scared to tell her too. They're like, hey, so if we could find the key, uh, we don't have much time. Don't kill me, please. I also like the fact that like, a this is the first time we're seeing Glory not be Glory, like not be like Glory, like running in a room killing everyone. It's such an interesting way to like weaken her by making something like kind of out of her reach. Right. Um, I like it because it doesn't make it feel like Glory is any less powerful. It's kind of like Buffy during Helpless, like when she has her like serum taken out of her and she still is able to like accomplish and kill the guy even without it. It's just like something was out of her control. Like, and so I like it because it makes Glory you know, actually attainably killable. Um, but it's not like kind of like retconned in there to like make it easy for yeah, a game Yeah, it's something killer. you find out the very end of the season. That's, I feel like mm-hmm. that's what happened with last season. It was like, they're like, he's so powerful. <laughs> he's so powerful. And then they're like, oh, frick, we need to figure out a way to kill him. And it's just like, whenever they do we that, have I'm a like- spell, guys. Yeah, it's They keep stupid. telling us that, but then like you're not showing it to us, you know? Well, and I was thinking about that actually when I was watching this. They are doing such an interesting thing with Gloria as the big bad this season because typically like the past four seasons have had a formula in how they introduce the big bad. Like the big bad doesn't really get introduced until about halfway through the season. And then they're kind of like sporadically shown until bam, all of a sudden we're really going to delve on this plot Mm -hmm. and then like they're there. They showed Glory – like what episode was it, the five. third or fourth? Yeah, the fifth episode and immediately showed a weakness by having her be crazy and needing to suck someone's brains out or their energy. And they're showing it again here. But then also on top of that, it makes you empathize with her. Like we talked about how we're like, man, we kind of feel bad for her. all she wants to do is go home. But then in this episode, she's in Buffy's house. Like how violating. And I love that they're doing that because here we are only halfway through the season and already we're like, I don't know how you're going to beat this woman, even though she is the only bad, big bad that we're like, we know what their weakness is. Do you think there's a reason that they have kind of the themes of what Buffy's going through and feeling like a loss of like what to do in her girlhood and trying to find her own power in the world and having a female big bad suck the power out of people? 
Oh, yeah. I feel like there I has think, to be a reason. No, I mean, there is. Not a reason, but like there has to be like a purposeness. Glory, yes. Glory is here to represent who Buffy would become if she had no humanity. Basically, an overpowered, selfish person who just takes and takes and takes and doesn't give and eventually becomes crazy with the power. I mean, you poke the bear until the claws come out and then you're surprised it eats you. You know what I mean? Like, I honestly get glory. <laughs> Tavi's like, honestly, justifiable. Every single thing. Play Mad Woman by Taylor Swift. Honestly, it's like, like you know, you're surprised that I have this reaction when you make me crazy, you know? I but like, we don't like, know. Glory's really girlhood, you know? Right. <laughs> but like we just found out that Glory is a god. So why is Glory here? Like there's a lot of things we don't know about Glory. So like, yes, I want to be sympathetic, but also why is she here? Who trapped her okay, like this? Okay, we can say the all we want, know? but obviously we know. <laughs> I'm not just <laughs> saying this for no reason. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just, you know, for all our new listeners, Sarah's trying know. to make me look stupid out here. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to do right now. That is my She's whole like, goal in this entire podcast. <laughs> I was like, Tabby, let's make a podcast so I can make you look stupid every week. <laughs> it only took five seasons for her to figure it out. <laughs> wow, Tabby, you finally got it. Cool, we can stop the look podcast at me, now. You guys. <laughs> okay, oh, it, Quentin, I'm sorry. Is the most perfect name for this type of character. It's so snobby and British. I hate it. No, but he is he is him. Like he is Quentin. <laughs> How sad. Could you imagine this being your legacy? <laughs> Quentin That's Trappers. It. Yeah. Joss Whedon definitely wrote this um based off of somebody he went to school in Britain with. <laughs> he was like, This is for you, Quentin. Like a British snob. Yep. So in the shop we have Quentin show up and mansplain everything to Giles when he's trying to like talk to his customers about the certain ingredients in his spell. And he's just like, he comes in with this whole group of people. They all kind of scatter about, take notes of everything inside the store and are telling him, Hey, like this thing is blah, 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 blah. And they shouldn't be selling that. And poor Giles, dude, like talk about like having a loss of like power and everything. Like I really feel mm -hmm. for Giles in this episode. Like they just like come in and they're like kicking everyone out. And they're like, oh, just for the duration of us being here. Babe, how long are you going to be here for? You know, that's like so much money right. that he's pausing on. And you haven't been paying him for two years. Honestly, screw you guys. It's obvious that they have not communicated with Giles in, a most, in the most honest way. They yeah. made Giles pay for his ticket out there to see them, then tell him, well, we don't know very much information. Then they make him fly back. Then they all go, hey, this is an opportunity to get the Slayer back under our thumb. And then they let Giles know, hey, we're coming out. We're, we got information for you. So he thinks, oh, it's just going to be like a one-time meeting thing. No big deal. Yeah. They come out and say, oh, basically we're taking over your entire business and we're going to belittle you and we're going to close up your shop and we're also going to take – we're like assessing you and then we're staying for a couple days. Like – yeah, and then Giles we're gonna see if you're that. fit for this information. Uh -huh. No, they are they are being really dirty and underhanded with this whole thing. Yep. And Anya's like, you know what? I'm not taking this anymore. Good luck, Giles. Ends up leaving. Well, she's like, if they know I'm a vengeance demon, they're gonna lock well, me she up. Has, yeah, she has that layer of stress to her. She's like, don't look at me. Don't perceive me. I am just a human. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, just a girl. Human. <laughs> yeah. Just a girl. <laughs> Welcome to our store. We're closed now, and I'll be in the other room. <laughs> Well, and then Joss is like, like, you were already planning on doing this before yep. you even came here. 
And he doesn't disagree. Yep. He sits there and just says nothing. It's like, Oof. honestly, I was team – I mean, I'm always team Giles, but this episode, I was like, Giles is my favorite person. Like, I, I love Buffy, but obviously Giles – I mean, he just – the way he stood up to them, I was like, you go, man. Multiple occasions, Well, there's too. also like it's, – it's an, it's an annoying system, but realistically, a lot of times, what's going to make a man change his mind if he has an opinion about a woman is not a woman speaking her mind. It's a man speaking up for her. Yeah. Stupid. But it is that system because a lot of misogynistic men don't Mm -hmm. take women seriously. They don't see them as a human being. They see them as like secondary. Um, And so when another man speaks up for them, it's almost like he's an advocate for you. It's like almost like someone with good like repertoire or whatever the freak that word is um, speaking and vouching for you, which is so dumb. Um, And it's really hard because like part of you wants to be like, yes, go Giles, like. But then another part of you is like, why does he even need to do that? <laughs> like, why can't it just right. be like she – which I know it's 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 not a perfect example because, you know, it's not like just some misogynist – some misogynistic men. It's a whole system and it's a right. whole – They're know, just the, the face of watcher. it. Yeah, they've been there for so long and they're just kind of regurgitating what they've always learned and observed. Um but I think this but episode just proves, proves it though, Leah. They don't listen to Giles when he talks. Like it takes Buffy literally saying no and I'm power – like showing – giving displays of power to say literally I can beat you up in order for them to listen to her, you know? So I don't yeah. know that it – like I think Giles – they had Giles come down hard on the Watchers for two reasons. First one was last time the Watchers came, Giles chose the Watchers over Buffy, at least initially, and betrayed Buffy big time. This episode, they're trying to show Giles has grown. He's extremely different Mm -hmm. now, and he is not taking any – like his eyes have been opened. But also, too, I think Giles is trying to – also be like, Buffy, I got your back. Buffy, I got your back. Because he still feels yeah. really bad about that. It's you like know? a boyfriend who cheated is trying to like go above and beyond and be like, <laughs> yeah, he's like women are ugly. I'm not even I never them. look at them. <laughs> yep. yeah. Right. But on multiple occasions, even without her being there though, he like stands up for her. I think he's just salty at them. And honestly, same. Like Travers yeah. is like, you used to be one of us, Giles. You used to, you know, you used to really respect us. And Giles is like, you used to pay me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, you go for that. Because Giles had a really rough time after they fired him. Like, he wasn't sure what his purpose was in life. And he's overcome that. And now he's his own purpose. And that's the thing. Okay, that's the thing about this episode, too. We've talked a lot about how this season is about, like, um, identity and finding purpose and stuff. And really, the whole show is. And we've talked about how a lot of people in this season, Riley, Spike, and now the Watchers Council have been finding identity and purpose and meaning through Buffy. And yet they're also the people that are the most critical of Buffy. And the Watchers Council has no purpose if they do not have a slayer. So they're coming yeah. to Buffy going, ha ha, we have all the power, but they're literally going, we have no purpose apart from you. And so Giles felt that way in season four and has now developed his own passion, his own purpose. And so the Watchers Council coming in and shutting everything down, at the end of the day, Joss has more purpose than they do. And even he has more power than they do at this point. And they know that, so they're belittling him for it. It's also just so funny to think about like, what the frick do the Watchers Council do? Like, (laughs) if they're one slayer, well, technically there's two slayers, 
that are rogue from them right now. But it's like when you really think about it, they're not getting a hold of faith. So no. it's like, what are they do? What do they talk about? What do they do? Like when they gather, what are they doing? They like, go, oh yes, Quentin, you're so handsome. Yes, you do a really great job. For two years <laughs> that Buffy's been like on there. It's just so, and they're also the other half of the globe. Right. So it's like, what are you, what are you doing? My my yeah. headcanon is that they are just pouring so much energy into finding the next Slayer that they could like form. Yeah, they're like, when's Buffy dying? <laughs> yeah, for real. And and you know, most likely they're all old money. They have they're all extre- they have probably extremely wealthy families that are either a part of the Watchers Council or legacy families who have been donating money for so long and have been born into this to the point where they just probably hold fundraiser after fundraiser and just say, Oh wow, we're doing really great work. Like they have someone that spies on Buffy and they take all the credit for everything she's been doing and then they give it to all these people, like, you know. At the end of the year, they have a survey and say, "Wow, look at our, what our Slayer has done." In fact, we we now have two Slayers, guys. Look, look how well we're doing. Um, yeah, it's all just it's hot air. They're just blowing hot air. The fact that they think, "Wow, we have extremely vital information, but we're not going to hand it over until we know that you guys are prepared for it." What do you think Buffy and Giles have been doing? And also, what are you going to do if they're not prepared for it? Just let the world fall into chaos, like? I think that they were always planning on handing it over, but they decided to play the one card that they thought they had. If I were Giles and the Watchers Council was all coming out, or at least a few of them, my first thought would be, oh, they're going to be here for a long time. There's no way they're just coming for one meeting. You know, like, like they haven't been involved for two years. I feel like they wouldn't just come for like a, hey, let's sit down and chit chat. Let me give you some information. I think he's like being a little bit too nice. Well, Yeah, most likely. I think Giles, as much as he knows how crappy they've been, you know, when you're coming out of a system that you've been literally like brainwashed to believe is a certain way, you still believe the best about them because there's still a part of you that's like, they can't be as bad as everyone says they are. He's probably like thought that he's made up some things that actually happened. Yeah, no, totally. And he's like, hey, like Buffy has really grown a lot since you've last seen her. She required, <laughs> I love she this has scene. required a lot of focus. And I love whenever the show does this because we like <laughs> pan straight over to the classroom. Buffy's yawning. She's like, this is Leah in the classroom. I she's was like, literally going to say, she's, like, this listening, is Leah. But she's fidgeting and looks like she's not listening. You know? Yeah. Some of us have ADHD. Buffy's okay? so ADHD coded, to be honest. <laughs> she is. She's very, it's hard for her to like sit down. I mean, even the way that she processes things, it's very funny because so like she sits there and really develop, like she needs to be doing something and able to like process her feelings mm-hmm. and thoughts and all that. I'm like me. I appreciate Buffy standing up so much. And I love the professor response. He's like, ugh, Miss Summers, of course. As if Buffy routinely asks questions and rattle cages in the classroom. I was like, good for her. But also, like, isn't that the kind of kid you want? Like, I never right, understood yeah. that when yep. I was in high school because I would get that a lot too, where I was like, the scroll's talking again. But I would be like talking to the teacher. Well, sometimes, you know, different circumstances. But like, Teachers would get pissed off that I had like questions or like would kind I don't of want to be questioned them. in front of the other kids. That's why. Mm-hmm. And it's like, isn't that good? Doesn't that mean they're paying attention? Right. Like, huh? No, exactly. And it's just another old white man <laughs> telling Buffy that she's wrong yeah. simply because she's challenging his view of history. 
And if there's one thing that Buffy the Vampire Slayer show is going to do is it's going to tell you exactly what the theme is of the episode in a classroom setting. Yep. <laughs> even the, the teacher goes or professor goes, perhaps I can step aside and you can teach your own course. Like, okay, okay, theme. Okay, um, inner drive for this episode. Like, that's exactly <laughs> what she's going to do at the end of the episode. She's yeah. going to be like, hey, I'm actually going to take control. Like, mm-hmm. I can actually do this on my own because I have my own thinking and I it's worked out for me, you know? Like, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this. I have my own thoughts and processes and I've been a slayer for a long time and I don't need somebody else to tell me, you know? Well, like his last thing that he says about, you know, some of us are here to learn, believe it or not, we're interested in the way things actually happened. We call it studying history. And this is so important because the Watchers Council operate on a system of this Mm -hmm. is the way things always have been. This is how things are supposed to be. And Buffy is showing that she's pushing back against that and it sets the stage for later on the episode. People who push back on tradition for no reason are really like strong people because it takes a lot for you to be like, hey, just because this is what has been done doesn't mean it's what should be done. Totally. Well, also like, again, this is such a, um, not a bias, but like- and it like, oh, this is maybe not everyone's experience, but like this just really reminds me of what it's like to grow up in the church as a woman going through purity culture yeah. and like mm-hmm. huge um, – I feel like in the uh, early 2000s and we're starting to see that break away now, but there was just like a huge mesh of like traditional Christian culture and like biblical Christian culture and just like how it just blended. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's like so interesting because I, I I watch this and it feels like becoming a woman and you move away for college or something like that. And you're kind of like ripped out of that childhood and you like look back and you realize like, oh, did I do that because it was what was tradition or is it because it's something I actually believe? Like, Yeah, there's and cultural like Christianity like, and then there's Yes, and then having to like truth. talk to – and I know that this is not just something that is – just for Christianity. Like I've heard other people talk about their religions like this too, where there are certain things where it's like, that's not even in my religious text. It's just that, you know, the patriarchy infiltrated a lot of different religious organizations and like sadly took advantage of it. Um, And so it's just like one of those things where it's like, I see this and I just see so many women who've like had to really challenge their faith and whatever means that meant and be like, is this really what I believe or is this just what I've always been told? Right. Um, Which is a really scary thing to do. Yeah. Questioning anything was seen as rebellion and lack of faith. (laughs) And it's like, it's very unfortunate because it's like, like we were just talking about questioning things is healthy because Mm -hmm. it actually strengthens what you believe and every area of your life, not just like, you know, your like faith or, or whatever, like it, you should be questioning things in a healthy way so that like you can make up your mind about stuff and therefore really like believe in your full gut and have a full opinion about something, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, next scene in the graveyard, we have Buffy slaying. I'm like, yes, slaying Yeah, cathartic scene. slaying over here. Yep. Way too and short. She's like, she's like speaking out loud. Oh my gosh, the amount of times I do this with myself, I'll just be like, you know like, why you're regurgitating. Slaying? And, yeah, when I'm slaying. Um, <laughs> when I'm in my car by myself, I'll be like saying out loud conversations or arguments I've had with people mm-hmm. and I won't realize I'm doing it. I'm like, and then I'll like catch myself. I'm like, am I 
good. Like, <laughs> what am I speaking out loud? <laughs> Turning into dad. But it kind of helps though. Like, like saying stuff out loud. It's like even though I wasn't able to say it with my chest in the moment, if I can say it in the car, I'm like, good job, Tabby. You did great. I'm like rewriting history. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're like, we're just going to forget what actually happened <laughs> is what happened. Yeah. This is – I'm rewriting history right here. <laughs> but like the vampire's like, who are you talking to? <laughs> the sass. And then this is like the third episode where Spike is coming and is yeah. like slayed for Buffy when she didn't ask him to and was doing totally fine. And he's, he's like, like ha, asking ha, for praise. Now I've done it. Now he's like, I know I'm gonna be getting your heartfelt gratitude any moment now. And you're like, <laughs> Spike, like, you just no. do not get it, man. <laughs> oh gosh. And then oh Spike just antagonizes her about he's nasty the breakup. this episode. Yes. I'm like dang dude like just goes in and not even in like accurate ways it's like you can't keep a man like you know maybe you just can't keep it up anymore like just making disgusting comments it's like hey spike what are you still doing here like (laughs) who invited you (laughs) but it's just like it's so funny that he's saying all this when it's like the literal only reason you're in sunnydale is because you're trying to get a girl who hasn't wanted you for what four yeah. years, <laughs> three years. Like yeah. that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Well, he like, can't get any girl. Har- like Harmony, who wears Harmony? She left him. Buffy doesn't want him. Drusilla doesn't want him. Yeah, he's got nothing. I mean, like he's like check your breath lightly, or maybe the beauty's fading. The stress of slaying, aging you prematurely. Things not like they used to be, not as high or as firm. I was like, oh my gosh, well, how out of pocket, my dude. Get out of here. So at the hospital, we have Ben clocking in, and then we have a minion grab him, and he's like, get your hands off. You're crusty. He's like, crusty? <laughs> I was like, fair enough. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Their face is like crack, like literally actually cracking. <laughs> Ben's like, dude, I'm gonna have to go scrub down again. I know that their breath just is stank every time they're like talking to somebody. I'd be like, oh, please <laughs> back away. So this 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 scene is interesting to me because we know that Ben has some sort of a connection to Glory, and that Ben has been trying to keep glory safe or trying to uh like he he called the queller demon but the fact that he beats up this guy's name is jinx he beats up jinx and says i've got a message for glory so this episode is about power and the interesting question to ask is why is ben able to get away with hurting glory's minions without glory going and suffering the consequence or giving him the consequences of his actions. Why is he not as threatened by glory as others are? It would seem that Ben holds some power over glory. And I think it's just, it's very interesting to contemplate. Very good question, Sarah. I know I, I speak as if I don't know the answers, but it's interesting to watch the episode and see how things are unfolding and like the bits of information that you're given, even though we know the outcome and be like, oh, huh. Like if I was a first time watcher, I'd be sitting here going like, why is Ben able to get away with this stuff? Why doesn't Glory just go find him? You know? Yeah. So Ben refuses to give info about Buffy. Um, and then we find out later that he beat up the minion um, back at the shop, we have Giles with the council, and then Buffy walks in. She's like, "Bad day, bad day." Poor Buffy. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> and she like, well, has to walk in because Quentin's like Buffy. And she's like, "Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, how y'all doing?" <laughs> <For real. laughs> 
She calls him Mr. Travers. And oh, yeah. by the she's end of the like, episode, she calls him Quentin. Yeah. Well, at first she's like, I do not want you here. I do not want to call you by your first name. We don't know each other like that. Like you are Mr. Yeah, Travers we are not to me. Friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Quentin is like, we want a presentation of her training right now. And he's like, hey, after we have this presentation of her training, and if she passes a review, they'll give her the info about Glory. But that also they have to pass, like, not just a review, but they have to, like, pass a, like, exhaustive kind of, like, review and or breakdown of everything they do in the process of trying to, like, take down a big bad. So it's like, dang, like. You explain yeah, me to her show strategies, you the top, talk like, to her friends, her fighting techniques, like, it's like you everything. You supposed to be on my, my absolute A game 10 out of 10 in one night or maybe two nights in order for you to see the full yep. picture of what we go through. Like we're also not in the biggest threat as of right now. Like Glory doesn't know that Dawn is the key. We don't know mm-hmm. anything about Glory. So how are we supposed to show you you know, our best tactics and everything if we still just don't know anything. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is like the worst time for them to come in. Oh, yeah. No, it totally is. Travers' words to her are really interesting. He says, um, I think your watcher hasn't reminded you lately of the relative status of the players in our little game. The council fights evil. The slayer is the instrument with which we fight. The council remains the slayer's change. It's been that way from the beginning. Basically, we're more important than you are. But I love how he talks about how like the slayer is the instrument with which they fight. And by the end of the episode, she's like, wait a minute. So you haven't been fighting these past two years. Mm -hmm. You need me. Yeah. Giles, that's a very comforting, bloodless way to look at it. I was like, here, here. <laughs> well, and then Giles like gets freaking upset. Like his ripper comes out and he's like, She's not your bloody mm-hmm. instrument. You have no right to do any of this. Like he really said that with his chest. Good. We haven't seen Ripper Giles in a while. Frankly, I need I know, him to I come him. out a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> so after Giles kind of gets upset, Quentin very much weaponizes the fact that he's a watcher mm-hmm. without pay and is like, hey, if you or she doesn't pass this, then we're going to ship you out of the country sort of thing. And shut down his his place of work, which so this cruel. is a whole new level of evil. They witnessed firsthand how Giles stood up for Buffy and Helpless and has a father's love for her. And now they're oh, weaponizing. They, they kept that as a grudge. Yep. Yeah, perhaps you're used to idle threats and sloppy discipline, Miss Summers, but you're dealing with grown-ups now. Wow, how belittling is Ew. that? But also it's like, like she is a grown-up. <laughs> like Guys, I just heard uh, Prince of Egypt, you're playing with the big <laughs> boys now. No, literally. <laughs> oh, that's pretty. <laughs> did you know that was Martin Short and Steve Martin? I didn't yeah, know I did. that until a few months yeah. ago. They're I just can like hear the it best. now, but I love how they just Take all the projects together as much oh, as I, I hear, can. What's the cruel musician or, or position or whatever he says? And he's like, and he, I can hear the voice inflections, but I don't uh-huh. know the words they're saying. That's how I memorized it. <laughs> Anything that the Martin Short is put in, like specifically His voice is cartoons, so good. like him as Preminger. It's I just, love that Preminger is me. literally all over TikTok right now. I <laughs> love He's him. so sassy. <laughs> How could I refuse? His rolling <laughs> eyes and scoffing every two seconds. I'm dead. When he goes, ah! Like, he goes really high. And I can't <laughs> yes. do it really high right now because I have a I have strep. But he goes really high and he's like, ah! And you're just like, ah! I love you, Preminger. He's the best. <laughs> Your mother is a handsome woman. 
<laughs> He's low key like the fruitiest character ever. <laughs> His fits not slay. low key. <laughs> He's canonically very gay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Preminger <laughs> really wants the prince. Not me That's outing Preminger. <laughs> He's like, hello. Yeah. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> oh gosh. I'm just imagining um, Martin Short being like, hey, we want you to be the villain for these like Barbie movies that like only 17 people in the world watch or something like that. And he's like, sure, I'll do it. And I'm going to be the best, most iconic villain you've ever had. What do you mean so 17 good. people? It raised a whole generation. That's true. I guess Princess in the um, – or yeah, Princess in the Popper was probably the most It is the most popular. Yeah. yeah, the most popular one. That would make sense. I mean, for good reason. It's the best one in my opinion. Anyway, okay. Talk about Barbie, dude. I don't know, I know how so we- much Barbie. <laughs> it's up back there. Um, at Glory's apartment, we have a minion returned with a beat up face. His eye is swollen, poor dude. Um, and says that poor Ben dude. isn't going to help. And Glory is just like dumbfounded. She's like, why would Ben not help me? Yeah. And then immediately she's like, okay, I bet you the Slayer knows where the key is. I was like, wow, that was a really good guess, Glory. <laughs> She okay, does, but also, but also <laughs> realistically, I feel like that would be the first conclusion I would make if I was yeah, at same. Old, had been around that long and I couldn't find something and I and I'm in the same place as the one person who would have access to like knowledge that I wouldn't have. Well, the biggest tell for me would be the fact that she that he beat up the minion when he asked about Buffy and mm. and Ben refused to give information. I feel like Ben should have just lied about something. Do you know what I mean? So so I don't get the sense that Gloria is super smart. Um, she's really fun to watch. She's very pretty, but That's she very misogynistic of doesn't you, Sarah. seem. I know it's so misogynistic <laughs> of me. <laughs> she has layers. She's not smart, guys. Um, but like I, I get the sense that also like Glory's literally sitting around trying on outfits and doing all sorts of stuff. This is the first time we've seen her actively going out and doing something in several episodes. Like obviously we had Shadow where she went and got the snake, but she's even like cre- constantly sending out minions, constantly creating things to go do the dirty work for her while so that she can, you know, take baths and try on clothes and stuff like that. And I really think that if Glory were more proactive, and I know the show is doing this intentionally, if Glory were more proactive, this season would be a lot shorter. (laughs) Yeah. So this part is killing me. And this is kind of what I mentioned earlier. Like the minion keeps thinking that she's going to suck out his brain. (laughs) He's like so nervous. And she's like in his like physical zone the entire time. And the poor dude's like embracing his his fate. He's like, well, I died. She's like, sweet, lumpy minion. You're the only one that understands. She's like, ah, he just makes me so mad as her hands are hovering around his face. (laughs) She's like, if I could just get my hands on him, you know? And then she walks away and he was like, stressed out. (laughs) I literally, having Glory have stupid minions was the best decision that they ever made. Like, it lightens it so much with, but still showing that she's terrifying. Back at the magic shop, we have Giles making a joke about sticking Buff young Quentin. <laughs> and Buffy's yeah. like, I don't think I could hit a 60-year-old man. Can I? <laughs> man, I just loved all of the Giles and Buffy moments in this episode. Yeah. I've just been loving their dynamic this season. We did not have enough of them in season four. I and agree. I'm just so thankful that they are just going so hard with him. And like the moment where she talks about how she's like, they picked the right thing to like, you know, apply pressure. I can't lose you. I'm like, oh, no. 
I don't know what it is, but like, I mean, I hate the council, but anytime they're mentioned, it's like brings Buffy and Giles closer together because they have a <laughs> they have a united enemy. I mean, they have many, yeah. but like, especially this one. In a way that no one else can really understand. Yep. No one else is underneath the council. Because both of them are, have been pawns of their game at some point and in different ways. Uh, and so they both can understand the type of control that the council had over both of them and against each other at one point. So they definitely get it. A small part of me was healed by this whole conversation, like Buffy overthinking and being hard on herself and Giles being like, Buffy, no one else could have done any better. And then she's like, but no one else is going to be asked all these questions I can't answer. They're going to expect me to be like like a slayer. And like it could be they're going to expect me to be like an adult, like I should know stuff, but I'm just me and I don't know anything. Then they're going to go away and never tell me how to fight glory and I won't be able to protect Dawn. This girl has the weight of the world on her shoulders. Like, It's just so sweet to see Giles backing her and it's just like one yeah. of those things where it's like we know Giles has always had Buffy's best interest even when he made bad decisions it was that he thought he was doing it for the right reasons but it's it's so sweet and it's such a full circle moment to like have Giles be like the one to be like no you're an adult like you can handle this like and he knows better than anyone yeah him saying you're not the one at fault they are like it's the way they're behaving, holding what they know hostage. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes. Oh my goodness. How validating. Buffy knows this stuff, but like hearing someone else say it, it's, it's needed. Well, then she kind of mentions too, she's like, what if they ask me or like talking about how she's fought Glory twice and nothing's worked. And she's like, kind of like, kind of like Sarah said, overthinking the fact that she's like, maybe they're correct about me. I've tried kind of working it through with glory um and i've lost both times so the poor girl is like kind of going through everything and having to like perform well and like i said earlier in like one situation they're gonna grade her based off of one night you know and it's gonna be like fabricated in like a training room not like an actual like clocked or i should say clocked field time <laughs> um it, it's gotta be like very daunting. Well, it's just clear they don't want her to win. Absolutely. Like, no matter what she's going to do, she's not going to win in their eyes. And then we have the whole interviewing the gang. <laughs> Anya's like, yes, my full name is whatever she said her full name Anya, was. Anya, Christina, Emanuela yeah. Jenkins, 20 years old, born on the 4th, born, of, 4th of July. July. <laughs> my little they patriot used to call me. <laughs> They cut out a part. She says, when I was seven, I had a pet dachshund that died from choking on a wiener, which I find ironic. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> she would think of that. And then yeah. Willow and Tara like, I'm like, guys, they're confirmed. They're in a relationship. They're in love after like yeah. a season and a half. <laughs> I think I think we knew. It was funny because they're like thinking that they're asking for their relationship status. And he's like, I'm asking about your relationship with the Slayer. I don't care he about your like guys' relationship. so bored. He's like, I did not need that information. I just they're all care. giving him way too much information on everything <laughs> else. <laughs> And I I do feel bad for Xander this episode because, like, they really just keep, like, digging in the fact that he has, like, no superpowers. He is, like, not contributing pretty much anything. Like, we have, like, the witches. We have the ex-demon. And, like, I just – the way he was talking about – the way Xander was talking about his relationship with Buffy was just very sweet. He's like, we're best of friends. We've done everything together. We got patrols and we researched. Like, he's just very, like – Mm-hmm. You can tell he's very proud talking about his role in the gang, and he's not thinking about self self deprecation until somebody mentions it, and then he's like, "Oh, sore subject," you know. And he talks about them combining their essence with Buffy to kill Adam. They're like, 
Huh. Which sounds so weird if you were not there. You're like, what yeah. do you mean? <laughs> yeah, they're like, okay. <laughs> right. Which again, they're coming to this with already this idea that Buffy's exactly. never going to be good enough. We don't want her to be good enough because we want to be better uh-huh. than her. We want to prove that we have the power. This is why yeah. going into situations too with an open mind is so much healthier. Obviously, we know yeah. that. But it's like when you go in having a preconceived notion or idea of something or someone, you're going to go in and you're going to be looking for things to affirm your mindset. Whereas if you go in with an, a genuine open mind by being like, hey, I could be wrong, then you know it's going to be much better. I mean, you might be right, but like, don't go in by being like, she is this and I'm going to be looking for reasons to kind of prove that to myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Then they go to Spike. And I love this interaction because like the girl's like, oh, I wrote my thesis on you. <laughs> Dude, there was a whole thing. There was a whole section that was cut out. So the girl's name is Lydia. She says, you can't hurt anyone. And Spike says, that's right. And she says, but you're a vampire. And he says, if I'm not, I'm going to be pissed about drinking all that blood. And then she just like, stares at him. And she goes, so it's this chip in your head that keeps you from hurting people. And he goes, my goodness, you put that together all on your own. That's right. Leastways, that's what I've got them all believing. Then the human's all like tense. And he goes, could just be a hoax though. I fake some headaches. Everyone gets used to poor helpless Spike. Then one day, no warning, I snap a spine, bend a head back, drain him dry. Brilliant. And then she goes, the chip, assuming it exists, it takes away the ability, but it leaves leaves the, and he smiles at her all sexily, desire, yeah, I've got Ew. tons of that. <laughs> I kind of like the whole idea of him like gaslighting them about the chip. I feel like they could have kept that in though. That's kind of funny. I like that at the, at the very end of the conversation, it's revealed that he's been doing that so he can figure out like how Buffy's doing. He's like sweet talking her. And then Lydia's like, I wrote my thesis on you. He's like, well, isn't that neat? I love that because like that's so real. I feel like if you're going to go, I love the little lore of the council. I can just imagine them having yeah. to do so much like paperwork and like schooling right. in order to get in. It's kind of like a doctorate where they have to write a whole like uh, dissertation or whatever. And like – Imagine having to write like a massive, like sixty-page paper. Thesis you get to pick on a character, and you're like, out I'm gonna of pick it on like. And Spike is a great one because like there's a whole like him killing two slayers beforehand, like. But also, like, of course, the patriarchy would pick the male vampire to write a thesis on, and not like one of the amazing badass female mm-hmm. slayers. <laughs> but of course, that's a council member. You know what I mean? Like, it's very right. brand. <laughs> She's like, I find this vampire sexy. I'm going to write my thesis on uh-huh. him. <laughs> yeah, literally. I'm like, oh, of course. Uh, so in the training room, they have this little exercise that they're having Buffy do. And my gosh, like talk about sabotage. They're like, we're going to speak right. to you in Japanese and you're going to be blindfolded. Like, hello? Yeah, this this is interesting because them blindfolding her is just so on the nose, such a like a metaphor for having her attack um on command instead of instinct. It's so symbolic of how they see their role with her, blindfolding her and hampering her with the lack of information that they're giving her and the knowledge, and then saying you can only attack based upon the information that we give you. So but and the commands we give you. Instead of using your instincts, you have to attack based upon what we give you. And I'm like, cut out the middleman. I think she can do just fine without you guys. Yep. Also, him talking about the dummy, he says, protect the dummy as if it were precious. This is the same verbiage that Joyce used to describe Dawn. And the script actually alludes to it being about Dawn. This is Buffy nods. She knows what it is to have something precious to protect. They're like, okay, 
um, Michelle Trachtenberg, the metaphor for your character in this episode is a the literal dummy. dummy. She's like, okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> what a compliment. You're so precious. Generous. Like, don't worry, though. We'll, we'll say it's precious and she has to protect you. Okay, and? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, watchers. Thanks, Thanks, patriarchy. So Buffy's kind of like, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm going to beat this guy up on my own. Ends up supposedly cracking his ribs and axe goes flying perfectly on the dummy. Um, I'd be terrified if there were that dude behind the dummy. No one seems to really care that she almost killed him. Yeah, the guy's like, she cracked my ribs. They're like, "Mm, well, that's not impressive at all. So can I? Quentin's like, okay, and... Um, and then <laughs> Quentin's like, hey, later on, we're going to go over your strategies and plans and figure out what's going on in your head. That would freak me out the most, to be honest. Like, no, thank I you. I love snarky Giles. He's like, gosh, what have you been training her with? And Giles is like, I've been training her to win, man. Like, Yep. He took that personally. As he should. Buffy goes home and I forgot, man, Gloria's here. That always freaks me out. Anytime a villain, it's like it's giving when the mayor – went into the library. Yes. And yeah. graduation day part one. Like it's always terrifying when they're in their space. And both times they were kind of like to kind of scope out and have this like intimidation factor by going into their space. And man, it works every time. Well, we're only halfway through the season, guys. And the big bad is already in Buffy's house. Like this is not something you expect until the very end of the season. The season is just compared to season four, like I just feel like we've already gone through so much in one season that we could just end now. Well, we can't end now. But I just mean like, (laughs) it's a lot more fleshed out than season four was even at the end. Like at the end of season four, I was like, there's so much stuff we need to do. Whereas like, I feel like the season could wrap up next episode. Obviously it doesn't. Thank God there's a lot more to get to. But like, it's just crazy how much more cohesive this season is. So when Buffy comes home and Glory is there, I think what's also clever about this too is – since we're so used to the world building and the rules of vampires, having yeah. them inside the house too unwarranted and there's no buildup. She just kind of You're pops like, about oh, nowhere. You forget she can just that, walk like, in. Yeah, you forget that like she's not a vampire, that she doesn't need mm-hmm. to be invited in. You know, that's yep. even scarier. And broad daylight, mm-hmm. she's in a dress, like, you know, everything. It's intentional that they have her sitting in the same place, like in the same room that the Scoobies were just in, you know, at the very beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is a house they live in. This is like the living room that they have meetings in and everything. Right. Um, Dawn's in the kitchen. <laughs> yep. Well, Buffy grabs a poker and Gloria's like, oh, please, if I wanted to fight, you'd be dead by now. And she just casually sits down and is like, mm-hmm. hey, here's the deal. I know that you know where the key is. Why don't you just tell me where it is? Um, and then while they're talking, my gosh, Dawn cannot catch yeah. the vibes at all. She just walks straight in <laughs> and is like mouthing like, what? What do you want me to do? Who is that? I'm like, girl. I, the amount of dread that I felt. I know what's going to happen, but I still was like, Dawn, leave the room. Dawn, leave the room. Like I just got so scared when she walked in. The fact that the thing that Glory is looking for is right behind her. Oh, it's such a good scene. I just, I have to applaud too. I'm forgetting her name right now, but the actress who plays Glory, what's her name, Sarah? Claire Kramer. She, the nuances in her face, especially when like Dawn is like, 
you know, shooting daggers at her with her staring. And she's like, you're always talking about stuff I'm not supposed to hear. I'm going to figure yeah. out, you know. Like the look of like in Gloria's eyes as she's like looking between Dawn and Buffy, she's like, mm-hmm. huh, interesting. Like, th- I mean, Claire did a great job here. You're like, she's going to figure it out. She's going to figure it out. And you're like, Dawn, shut up. Well, then she's like, oh, I like her. She's sassy. I'm going to kill her. And then tells her, hey, like this is your one time. This is the one time I'm coming in you're having this conversation. Next time you don't tell me who the key is, I'm going to kill one of your friends. And it's going to be bloody and I'm going to make you watch. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> I think this is one of the first times we've heard a big bad made a th- make a threat that I actually was like, ooh, she would follow through. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Adam making threats was so like, okay. I think the mayor like, would. He made a mayor, joke about eating Buffy to true, Giles. True. The mayor would, but it was more so like calculated. The mayor But it was also plan. like the second to last episode and you're like, oh my yeah. gosh, it's yeah. going to happen. We're like halfway through yeah. the season. We're like, what are you going to do? Well, true. The threats like, are already coming in. Yeah. Well, and it's also like Angel was a vampire. So there was like a level of like protection in that way. And then it's like you had the master who was underground. And like, so a lot of them have like had a handicap where it was kind of like, oh, we yeah. have a safe zone. But right. like her, it's like there's nowhere that's safe at all. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why Buffy's saying pack a bag. I was like, heck yes. But yeah. okay. All right. Let's talk about this scene. So I understand partially why Buffy would choose to have her mom and sister stay with Spike. Like she said, Spike is the strongest one out of all he of also them. He has supernatural powers. He does. But her saying that – well, okay. So first of all, Spike is not as strong as Buffy. Buffy can barely attack Glory. Maybe Spike could buy them sometime. Sure. Fair enough. I struggle with the choice to have Buffy do this because personally, if I felt like there was something extreme enough to warrant having to hide my mom and sister, I'd be getting them out of town. I'd be moving them to a different state, to a different country, like something. Also, her and Spike are not friends. Her and Spike are enemies at this point. And every interaction we've seen of them up until now, Buffy just can't stand Spike. Like she doesn't know he's obsessed with her. She doesn't know he cares about her. She just knows that he is self-centered and which he is. But I think she knows he talks a big game. But what's to say that Spike wouldn't turn on Buffy? If Glory somehow was to ask or give Spike a incentive that was better than what Buffy was asking Spike, as far as Buffy knows, Spike would do it. Buffy doesn't know that Spike has the part that loves her, I say in quotations, um, to use as kind of like bait at the end, you know? So I don't, I kind of question the show's use of this moment. It doesn't feel like a natural step for Buffy. It also feels like sometimes the writers forget that they haven't shown the characters but they've shown the audience right like it feels like we make conclusions and we're like oh that makes sense because of what we've seen that's what i'm saying buffy's not an omniscient like person like she's not seeing what we're seeing we know that spike will probably do whatever he can because he's trying to get on buffy's good side buffy doesn't know that also buffy doesn't trust spike she's yes he's the strongest person okay but la is three hours away it's not hard to put joyce and dawn on a bus and say go stay with angel for a couple months or whatever you know like i i really question at this point it's not a matter of who's strongest it's a matter of like go send them far away from glory so i felt like this was kind of uncharacteristic and it was a little weird um also the other thing that i think is a little odd is so 
as Buffy is saying, I need your help to spike, which is in complete contrast to what she said to him earlier this episode when he was absolutely vile to her, the show intentionally shows the mannequin wearing Buffy's shirt laying down behind her as she's asking for help. Like Buffy's asking for help, being vulnerable, and this is a reminder of how he's violating her without her knowledge. In an episode all about Buffy taking back her power, I'm curious why they have that there. Like it feels icky and a little bit ominous to me. And they purposely put that in that shot too. Yes. Oh, it's obvious. Especially because it's easy to think, oh, like he's being nice to her. But why is Spike being nice to her in this moment? Well, I was about to say, I think it's a reminder of like – Yeah. And and this is something I know that we've talked a lot about in the um, spoiler section. Um, But Spike is a very interesting character overall, but especially in season five because – we have to continually remind ourselves that he mm-hmm. still is a soulless vampire. He's not like Angel. He doesn't have a soul and a conscience. He's making decisions purely based on selfish intentions. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I think he recognizes that is up for right. question. Because a lot of times I, I don't think he really realizes it. Because also that happens. When you're so selfish, you kind of start to forget what is selfless because honestly you're always thinking about yourself that you're like but i did something so nice like why aren't people noticing it and you don't even realize that that's a selfish selfish way to look at it Mm -hmm. um and so i think that they're trying to show us like what we are perceiving in spike or what buffy is perceiving in spike is not how it's actually happening like yeah he's he's doing this he's being nice because she's giving him what he wants right now well and it's also because like it's easy to be nice to the person that you're interested in like Mm -hmm. that is not actual kindness it is selfishness you're still getting something from you're getting affirmation like you're getting their kindness and that makes you feel good like it's about the feeling they're giving you it's not about doing a kind act you know and Yep. I'm not trying to like slam on Spike. I like Spike. He's interesting, but it's also like a reality check for people mm-hmm. of like Spike is still a vampire and he still has selfish intentions. Like don't don't just take the scene for what it looks like. Like there is more yeah. under the surface. I mean, I, I'm so glad that the idea and reality of – and being brought up to light the past year or two of like – men should be should respect women regardless if they find them attractive or not because i can't mm-hmm. tell you how many times i've either uh, kind of been friends maybe with guys in high school or college or even the past couple of years where like you're like oh i feel kind of safe around them they're really nice to me and then all of a sudden when they you feel they feel comfortable around you because you're like you know friends with them or whatever and the amount of times i've slowly start to they feel comfortable so they say gross things about other women and I've been like, nope, we're done. Nope. Just because you and I are good and I hear you now that you're comfortable with me and you say things about other women because you don't find them attractive or whatever and you talk about them and it's like, nope, like that doesn't – you don't respect women. Like just because you don't find somebody attractive, then all of a sudden you can like, you know, speak awfully about them. And it's it's similar with Spike too. It's like – he didn't feed on the girl last episode. Oh my god! Because Buffy and he was feels there. Buffy up, and yeah, he feels Do you know entitled. I mean? Because Buffy was there, but if she wasn't there, he would have fed on her. It's like a similar thing. It's like because the girl I like is there, I'm going to be on my best behavior, or like I'm not going to respect anyone else unless like I want to sleep with them. You know? 
Yeah. And we have to remember that the show has set up, like I talk about this all the time, the parallels between Spike and Riley was showing how their world was revolving around Buffy. And I talked about that with the Watchers Council too. She's the only thing that is giving all these men meaning and purpose. And Riley only ever felt like he had purpose in his life when Buffy needed him. And we're seeing that with Spike as well. He's nice here because he's getting what he wants great. They might do something with this in the future, whatever. But as of right now, I'm not giving Spike any props for this. Yeah. I do Although like this that is really Spike funny. and Joyce have like a connection with yes. passions. And like, this has been going on for a couple seasons. I love that. And they're like chatting about the next episode and Dawn's just over it. I love that. So back of the shop, we have the rest of the gang sitting up and the rafters kind of like watching the council from up above. That's so honestly fair they're like let's observe without having to be like really in it (laughs) uh buffy is 20 minutes late and then we see where buffy's at she's in the alleyway and gets jumped by knights question mark i know what is this (laughs) jumped by knights never thought you'd say that (laughs) anytime there are knights in my screen i (laughs) you know in a monty python i knew you're gonna say monty python <laughs> okay, I but knights are okay. So, so whatever weird. they're they're very it. weird. Yeah, it's odd. Okay, but the one thing I will say. So the question that we should be asking is: the knights are exist because they're trying to destroy the key, which is interesting because of like. Honestly, I kind of understand where they're coming from. Destroy the key. You don't have to worry about Glory mm-hmm. anymore. Like eventually she'll probably just waste away is what I'm getting at. Or she'll – you'll figure out a way – if you just can figure out a way to lock her up, something that would also, hold her. how do her. they know about the key? How do they know about Buffy? History, Tabby. Glory. Makes no sense. It was just like three monks who made the key corporeal or – yeah, whatever. And then yeah, sent corporeal. it to Buffy. It might have been more. Maybe Glory picked them all off. I don't know. But the question is, okay, why did the monks preserve the key and not destroy it? These knights don't want Glory to win, so they're fighting for the same thing Buffy is, but they're going about it differently. They want the key destroyed. So what is so special and important about the key that the monks hid it instead of destroying it? It also just like, this is the only thing about the show that I'm like a little like, there could have been an easier way. Like, I think I've talked about this before, but it's like, why didn't you turn Make the it a green of sand? Like one little pebble of grass or like a rock that's like on Buffy's front porch, like, or a grain of sand in the vast ocean. Um, right. Like, there's just like so, or like, why or didn't you dog. turn it into like, or why didn't you turn it into like, like seaweed uh, in the ocean? Or like, there's just so many things where it's like, how how are you going to find – it's like finding a needle in a haystack, literally. Like, turn it to one freaking thing. Like, Right. D- but they had to turn it into a, a human living person that's killable. Right. Well, like, and I what? think it's because – I think the monks didn't want the key destroyed. So they figured by making it human, if you have the knights looking after it, they'll be less likely to kill a human – Maybe. Or maybe the monks were like, we hey, we need to be able to find it at some point. If we turn it into a blade of grass, we'll never be able to find it ourselves. I don't know, but it is it is very bizarre. So Buffy spares the Kniggit, um of his name is Orlando Tabby. Get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Orlando. Um tells them to go and then she keeps his sword. And by holding the sword, she's like, Huh, I have the power. Let me go slay. In the coffee in the coffee shop. Hello, the magic shop. <laughs> so 
So Buffy walks in just carrying the sword. I love how like no one sees her walk in. They're like, Quentin's like, um, Buffy, you're late and we have to do your review. And she's like, um, how about we actually not do the review? Thank you very much. And then goes into like, goes straight into like, she just like goes right in. She's like, hey, like, here's what's going to happen. We're not going to have the review. You're going to leave me alone. <laughs> You're going to reinstate Giles. And then Giles is like, uh, retroactively. I'm like, dang, that's two years of like a Giles salary. is rich now. Yeah, for real. Giles can start, you know, giving some of his salary to Buffy. Or, you know, I just really wish Buffy had advocated for herself in this moment and said, you're going to start paying me because I'm the slayer. But yeah, I mean, he I has baby been steps, con- guys. continually her watcher for the past two years. It's not like it's like free money. It's like, though, no, he has been doing the work for two years. Well, he's doing more than them. What, what are yep. they doing? <laughs> yeah. And she's like, hey, I, I figured out. Literally on the also, walk over here. Also, why is Buffy never seeing any of that money? That's exactly what I just said. I said, the why is Buffy? Them would like to know. Why did none of the Slayers... You know how many of the Slayers could have used money? <laughs> Kendra only had one shirt, guys. I was literally about to say, Kendra had one shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Kendra. Like, Buffy and her mom's medical bills? Hello? Yeah. Yeah. Faith out there having to live on the streets because her parents are abusive. Yes. And, yeah. Literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Buffy is like, hey, I realized that the reason why you're here is not just that, you know, you can have me beg to come back with you. You're begging to have me so you can have purpose. Because without me, you're just watching nothing, basically. Um, <laughs> and she's like, you know what? And today, Glory came into my house and Giles is like, oh, are you okay, Buffy? And she's like, you know what? And she came in and she was talking to me and I realized – she can't do anything to me because I have the power. I have something that she needs. And she's like, and you know what? That's the same thing that's happening here. I have the power in this situation. So here's all the things that I need. Um, I love the quiet, creepy way that Sarah Michelle Geller plays this whole thing when she says, I'm fairly certain I said no interruptions as she whips the sword at Nigel. Mm-hmm. And just like Nigel. the way that her eyes – yeah, his name's Nigel of all things. <laughs> He's such a, such a minion name. <laughs> <clears throat> What's that movie? Nigel Murray. That's what I was service. trying to think of. I was like, what is Nigel from? I think it's from Princess and the Swan, isn't it? Or Leah, Swan Princess. Nigel I haven't seen that movie in so long. Swan Princess. Nigel Murray. I think Derek, that's his, I think that's you what and I were meant to be. Yes, that's I think I think Nigel is from there. Anyway, my brain is not brainy today, guys. All I can remember is um, you know, old obscure princess movies today, apparently. Um, but the way that Sarah Michelle Geller plays this, just that quiet confidence and that just like she doesn't need to yell. She doesn't need to go in there and wave things around. She's just quiet and she uses power. Yeah, she knows exactly she what she's going to say. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so good. And I love the way that she chose to play this quietly with such a quiet confidence. Like Buffy's just been so anxious this entire episode. But in this moment, she's because just like- deep down she knows she's I know correct. She yes, knows it. She should. She is. Yep. She says, so here's how it's going to work. You're going to tell me everything you know. Then you're going to go away. You'll contact mm-hmm. me if and when you have more information. And I was like, Go girl. Yep. Seriously. What was the girl's name again? Lydia. Lydia. And I love how Lydia's like, um, 
I don't want a sword being thrown in my face, but she's like, oh, what about the civilians, the children? And I'm like, it is Buffy not a child? How old are you? <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't look that much older than them. And also, she's about to turn 20. That's not a child anymore. But also, these people have seen, like, like, like Buffy says, these people have seen more action than you have. And mm-hmm. I love – this is the mark of a true leader. Not only is she refusing to play along yeah. with the ridiculous and archaic rules of the Watchers, but she's changing the rules. She's also validating every single one of the members of her team, mm-hmm. not just taking all the glory for herself. And there's the contrast between her and Glory. Exactly. I was going to mention that too, Sarah. Like it's an important leader is not someone who separates himself to an unhealthy degree between like, you know, people who help them. It's understanding and humanizing everybody. It's like, okay, I may have more of the physical power and all that sort of stuff. I'm the the quote unquote strength and weapon behind everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, these are fully fledged three dimensional human beings who have right. Can, and I, even I was when I was watching this, I was like, every time we see the gang kind of doing the research and and even patrolling, it's like Buffy absolutely would not have lasted as long if she didn't have the gang, um, and that includes right. Xander, I guess. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it does. As annoying as he is, he is important. Yeah, no, for sure, he has a lot of courage. He definitely throws himself without thinking into situations in a positive way, not like <laughs> also that too, and also in a negative way sometimes. <laughs> He's like, brave. He, he definitely has jumps in without a second thought if one of them is in danger, and I do really appreciate about them. As much as I crap on him, he that is very canonical and consistent with his character from day one, and even back when we were in the trenches, trenches with Xander, that was something we always complimented him about was like the fact that he really was always kind of just putting himself into situations because his friends were also in those situations without mm-hmm. much thought. And I do appreciate Still a little about salty about Into the Woods, but – Oh, you for know. sure. And they're like, oh, he's clocked more field time than anyone in this room. And then they're like, oh, field time is Riley speak. Okay, can we stop bringing him up, please? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I need a trigger <laughs> warning every time. I'm like, oh. <laughs> And then Buffy's like, hey, like, guys may be good at your jobs, but the only way for you to find out is if you work with me, which, true, I don't know why they've separated themselves so much. Like, this is their superpower, right, is having Buffy. This is their quote-unquote instrument. So wouldn't you want to, like, be on the same page and actually nourish the relationship? They want the glory for themselves. Yeah, they're like, we'll never talk to her, but if she's doing well, then that looks good for us. I like that they – that she calls him Quentin. She's like, because I think he's understanding me. And it says, the echo of his own words, this is the script, is not lost on Quentin. He pauses as Buffy waits. Your terms are acceptable. Like that's all the praise he's ever going to give her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's acceptable. It's adequate. I think she's just taking satisfaction in the fact that she knows she has the power. She's like, I don't really care what you say because I know I'm right. (laughs) As she should. Everybody just like cheering and the music swelling and then that quiet smile from Giles is just like the best mm-hmm. thing ever. Well, and before all that happens too, I love that like Quentin doesn't even like agree with her too. Like he can't even just sit there and be like, you're right. He just goes, okay, your your terms are fine. Sounds good. It's like he can't even throw her that bone. Like you said, Sarah, this is the only sort of like affirmation that she's going to get from him because that would be too humiliating to sit there and be like, yeah, you're right. We did come here because we are lamos who have no real job title outside Lamos. of you. <laughs> right. 
Quentin's like, hey, I want the scotch that's hidden behind, you know, the the counter. Um, and then Buffy's like, hey, before we do that, tell me what glory is. And we end the episode by him saying she's a god. Dun, dun. A Crazy. god, man, guys. Makes sense for that her like huge. godlike power and strength. Well, we had a couple of hints of it in this episode too, like her grabbing the poker and using it like a scepter and sitting down and saying, you should kneel before me. And yeah, but well, and also I mean- also just the name Glory. Right, right. Like how is she going to, how is Buffy going to fight this? Like insane, an actual God. All right, guys, that was Checkpoint. That is just, it's a wonderful episode. It's been so nice to have a few episodes that have ended on such a high note. Um I think we just don't have enough of those in the Buffyverse in general. And especially with season five with how emotionally heavy it is, it's just nice to have these episodes in between that are just so rewarding to watch in a way that is happy and uplifting and not always, you know, just devastating emotionally. But thanks so much for listening, guys. And Leo, we will miss you the next few episodes, but never fear. She will be back. Yep. Don't worry, guys. I'll be thinking of all of you the whole time. No, you won't. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll be in what? Costa Rica, where's your yeah, honeymoon? Costa Rica. Yeah, you're in Costa Rica. You're not going to be sitting there going, man, I wonder what they're talking about in the podcast yeah, right like, now. Yeah, man, I really, I wonder what episode they're on. And you're like, let me just call in from the beach, guys. Let me talk about it. No. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. Let us know your guys' thoughts. Uh, what did you think? Do you guys, I know we have some people here who have watched the show since it first aired. Um, did you guys watch this live? What did you think when Travers talked about Glory being a god? What did you think about the moment where she appeared in Buffy and Dawn's house? I just can't even imagine watching this live. It would have been so crazy. So you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. And you can email us at Becoming Buffy Podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support us and listen to our spoiler recap for each of these episodes, you can join our Buy Me a Coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash becomingbuffy. Speaking of which, special shout out and thank you to our producers, Christine, CJ, Kate, Omri, Paul, and Cashan. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, and we will talk to you all next time.